Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We have a lot to unpack this morning as we continue in our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Can we agree that this world is filled with rules? There's rules for everybody. I remember the old Andy Griffith show where uh, Barney is giving the prisoners a tour of the place. And he says, here at the rock, there are two rules. Who remembers the two rules? Number one, no writing on the walls. And number two was obey all rules. And so. Uh, Barney Fife was good at letting them know what was going on there. But the truth is, we, we do have rules in this world. And as we get older, we're actually expected to follow them. And it can be very frustrating when we cannot follow the rules or meet the requirements that are expected of us. Say, if it's a job or a school subject or a sports team or an organization or even those rules of a family member that they may have. Even worse is the feeling that we cannot measure up to God. It's a fine line in giving rules, and especially those of you that have raised children, you want to raise the bar high enough to where they're challenged, but not so high to where they are oppressed. And we all can feel that way at times. And the thing is, is that even worse is the feeling that we cannot measure up to God. Well, the truth of the matter is, and I'm going to go ahead and set it straight here today, you will never measure up. To God's standard. And I, as a pastor and as a human being and as a man, will never measure up to God's standard that he has set forth. And it's impossible as a Christian to do everything the Bible says. And that is exactly why Jesus is preaching this. And that is exactly why we need him. And so as we look at our text this morning, we're looking at... Jesus is teaching about the law. Now, when we talk about the law, the law in his setting, what he was talking about was the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders had taken all of the Old Testament. They had taken the Ten Commandments and the Deuteronomic laws and all of these things and put it together. And that was their worship system. And so Jesus is teaching on that. And he says that in verse 17, don't misunderstand why I have come. Now, again, realize this is at the beginning of his ministry. Do not, do not misunderstand why I have come. I do not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will be disappeared until it is, its purpose is achieved. And so there's a lot to unpack even in those few verses right there. And we see that, number one, the law of God has been distorted by humanity. You see, back in the day... When Jesus is teaching this, the Pharisees had turned the, the religious law into a, a religious system to where they could gain power. They could gain influence, and people found their power in the law. And here comes Jesus to challenge that, because Jesus is addressing here a smear campaign by those that are challenged. Because as you see right here earlier, there is a misunderstanding of why Jesus came. 
There are people that Jesus hadn't even got out of the gate yet. In some instances, he hadn't even called his disciples when he already started doing miracles. Jesus addresses the rumors head on by calling out the attitude that many came, that many had that he came to abolish the law. Now, I don't know about you, but if you are a law keeper and you get power from the law, you don't want anybody coming and challenging your your thing. I mean, if you are the small apple, or excuse me, the big apple on the small tree, you know, everything's run by you. It's your world, and it's you've got everything going on. You don't want somebody else coming to knock you off the tree. You don't want to go to a bigger tree and then be the small apple, am I right? So here... Who was against Jesus? Why is he getting this pushback? Why is Jesus even teaching this? Well, we see that the religious leaders of the Jewish faith had turned God's ordained laws for living and worship as a means for them to amass power over the people. You had to worship on certain days. You had to give certain sacrifices. You had to give a certain amount of money. You had to keep certain ordinances. You needed to do certain things yearly. And they were losing their power as the only ones that could do that. You see, before Jesus, you could not get forgiveness of your sins on your own. You had to go to a priest and have them do it for you. And so we see here that it was less about God's original law and more about people gaining their traditions and piety. And all the way, by the a side note that we can pull from this is that if you ever challenge someone's power... You better expect opposition. If you ever challenge someone's power, expect oppositions. If you're challenging them, don't go in there thinking that everybody's nice and everybody's going to go with what you got. Because when their power is challenged, they will come after you, just as they were coming after Jesus in this passage. The rumor that Jesus came to throw the law away was the enemy's lie to tell. Now, wherever you stand or whatever's going on in politics, I ain't preaching politics, but I am saying this is that on both sides, there are people try to get a narrative. People try to get a smear campaign, whether it be for one side or the other side, and then they run with it. And that's what was happening here. We see a smear campaign that even in the beginning, they did not know Jesus. They did not know his mission, but yet they already had it figured out to tell everybody that he was here to throw out the, the religious law, the way they worship, the way they do church, the way they get to God. Jesus came to throw it out. That's why he was getting so much opposition. Because, as I said a moment ago, Jesus had already extended a few miracles on the Sabbath. Now, what's the Sabbath? If you remember when God created the heavens and the earth on the last day, he rested. That was called the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath. Keep it holy. And so some of you are old enough to remember blue laws. You remember those? Blue laws were when you went to church, you had to go home and cook because there was nothing open. You had to spend time with family. You had to sit down and, and do nothing because there was nothing available. That, was ba- that blue law was based on the fact that one day of the week, we need to keep things holy, settle down. And in some ways, not being an old fuddy-duddy, not being an old man saying, get off my lawn. But in some ways, I think there was a specialness to that, to where you would slow down and be able to enjoy the world. But here, Jesus was actually working on the Sabbath. He was healing people. He was doing miracles. And so the people were out to get him for that. And then also, the law has always been the vehicle that propels us 
towards our need for Jesus Christ. How do you know when you're speeding? Nobody in here speeds. I know y'all are the church folks. You know, and, uh, and pity any of you that have ever gotten a speeding ticket going to church. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. If you get a speeding ticket going to church, don't tell the person giving you the ticket that you're going to church. It won't, will not fare well with you. But the truth of the matter is we know we're speeding because there are limits that are posted. There are cop cars that sit, and when we see them, the front end of our vehicle goes down like that because we slam on the brakes. We respect that law. And the thing is, with God's law here, this is the speed limit for our life. When we start to go faster than what this book says, we are headed for a fall, and that is why we need somebody to bring us back from the edge. And did you know that God's laws will make you a more joyful person? I don't know if you've ever done this in your Bible study, but but there are many translations out there. And uh, I want to show you one that we preach from here, New Living Translation, because I feel like it, it it is correct with the original text, but also it's a way that people can understand. But I'm going to show you something here. Let me show you this. On Proverbs 29, 18, it says in the New Living Translation, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. Now, here's the same verse in the good old KJV that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, just a side note, back years ago, there were preachers that they would use this verse and they would use vision to mean organizational structures and business plans and all that kind of stuff like that. That is not what this verse is talking about. This verse is saying where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now I'm going to do what some people do called a mashup. Let's go to the next slide. Here's the mashup. Same verse, two versions. When people do not keep a vision of God's divine guidance as laid out in his word, people will run wild and perish. If you don't believe me, look at your newspapers. Watch your TVs. <laughs> Turn on your police scanners. All you got to do is listen. This world is coming off of its hinges because people are rejecting God's divine guidance. But those who live according to God's word will be happy and full of joy, joy. Now, I'm not saying that you're always going to be happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. That's not what life is. But it does mean that when times get tough and the world starts to put its screws on you, that you can survive and know that God is with you. Because the purpose of God's law in the Old Testament is to lead us to our need for Jesus. And to live our lives outside of his laws is to invite trouble into our lives, family and world. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if someone constantly breaks the law, it's because they're breaking the law. That's why their life is not working. And we need to return to the word of God. We need to return to what Jesus says. Now, here's the big thing. Someone would say, who gives you the right to tell me that? What makes you the authority? That's what they were saying to Jesus. They were saying to Jesus, who are you to tell us what you will and will not do? Well, here's the thing. What gives Jesus the right? The Jews' authority, when they taught, it came from the teachings themselves. It came from 
Moses' writings. It came from Abraham. It came from Jacob and Isaac and Elijah and all of those things that they studied all over the years. When they spoke, they spoke with authority from those writings. But Jesus' authority was his own. He was his authority. Jesus often said in scriptures, he said, I tell you the truth. To the listener, that was his way of saying, I am the authority and I can back up what I say. You see, the world we live in is the same way today. Authority is seen as coming from a consensus of public opinion apart from biblical morality. Now people are legislating and people are ruling and people are living not according to God's word, but about what everybody thinks. That's why we are in the mess that we are in. The the opinions of they, you know, they say. No, who who did that? They did. You know, you're asking a teenager, why are they wearing something out to school that you don't want them to wear? Well, everybody's doing it. And you say, well, if everybody jumped in a fire, would you? And they would say probably yes. Because nobody wants to stick out. Everybody wants to be alike. Everybody wants to be part of the consensus, the group, the they. Nobody wants to speak out. And that's what we have gotten to because years ago we decided to take absolute truth out of this world and just live by what we feel. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there are some days I feel it (laughs) and then there are other days I don't. And I don't know about you, but that's just the way it works. The opinions of days overrule the laws of him. Look, I don't care what a president, a world leader, a authority figure, a teacher, or whoever says. If it goes in direct opposition of what God's word says, I'm dependent on this. I don't need a consensus. I don't need poll numbers. And I don't need someone to get my back. This is all the back getting I need. And it's all you need, too. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you would stop living off the opinion of others and start living on the opinion of what Jesus thinks about the situations you're in, you would be a much happier person because Jesus is the authority. Men want to reject authority. They want to reject the Old Testament. They want to take the Ten Commandments out of schools, out of courthouses, out of lives. And then they want to reject the New Testament. They don't want Jesus. They don't want it in in our conversations. They don't want him in our, you know, our public places. Don't get me wrong. The world is fine with Jesus as long as we keep him in these walls. The problem they have with Jesus when we start taking them out, like we talked about last week, where we are salt and light in a dark and dull world. That's when people start having a problem. But let me try to explain it this way. What we have is we have the Old Testament law. And then we have Jesus' new way. Uh, this is the best way that, I, when, you know, I, I think of crazy things when I'm putting sermons together. So I hope you can follow me with this. Here's what the Old Testament law did. As you see on the screen here, they are forming out the foundation for a house. Some of you know what it means to, to build a house. And you know that it starts with the right foundation. If you're building a house that has a crawl space, you will basically dig a square trench around it and put your semen in it and make sure it's all level, right? Well, the law is this. The law is that trench. The law is that mold. Everything that was set up in the Old Testament was set up. The law, this is how we act. This is what morality is. This is how we should live. This is how we should treat others. All of that was laid out. And so these 
these Pharisees would, would basically broker that to people. And that would be where they get their purpose from. But Jesus says, no, wait a minute. I'm not here to throw away that molding. I'm not here to throw away that casing. I'm not here to throw away all that foundation. What I'm here to do is fulfill it. And so Jesus is the concrete that is going in to that foundation. As he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to accomplish it. The thing is about the law, and I know some of you don't like the Old Testament. It's got names you can't pronounce, and it's got things you can't identify with, and it's got battles and things that just seem kind of weird. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you what. Every word of the Old Testament is forming the thin thread that, that ties the whole Bible together is that everything in the Old Testament is preparing us for Jesus, the Messiah. He is the one who has fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach them in this passage. So the second thing we see is that here is what Jesus is filling the Old Testament accomplishes. So if you bear with me for a minute, go over to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. It'll give you a clear picture of what Jesus has done by not abolishing the law, but accomplishing it. It says in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. By the way, Gentiles are non-Jews. So if you are not Jewish, that's you. It says, You are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are being made part of his dwelling where God lives by his spirit. For years, Israel was God's chosen people. And still today, Israel is God's chosen people. But because of Jesus Christ, we have access to the same glory. Because as Gentiles, we have been made right through Jesus Christ. You have the law, and then you have what Jesus has done. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, this sounds great, preacher, but how is this going to help me get my homework done today? Or how is this going to help me when i got to walk into my boss's office tomorrow? Or how is this going to help me when i got this problem I'm dealing with? Well, hang on there just for a minute. Our salvation and faith are not dependent on our ability to keep God's laws. If you think that you came to church today and you were having to keep up some kind of front or wear a certain thing or do a certain thing and seem so spiritual, let me set your mind at ease. You don't. One of the best things you could do, if there is something that is troubling you today, one of the best things you could do is let it go. Because you're not going to be able to fix it on your own. Our salvation and faith are not dependent on our ability to keep all of God's law. There are some people, I, I, I talk to a lot of people about Jesus, and I'll say, well, let me ask you something. If I were to ask you today, why, if God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Nine times out of ten, it's a works-based answer. Something to along the, facts, along the lines of, well, I believe at the end of the world, our good is going to be outweighed with our bad. And if... If our good, if we've done more good than we do bad, and the scales tip in the right direction, we'll go to heaven. But if not, 
Too bad. I got news for you, my friend. What if you die on a bad day? <laughs> you remember that day the other week where you were so torqued you couldn't stand it? What if that was the day Jesus came back? <laughs> no, no, wait a minute. Let me get an attitude right. Or maybe you'll be lucky enough to be that day where you're in church and everything is just perfect. The kids are dressed nicely. You got a ball game to watch this afternoon. You got some wings to put in the oven. You're going to have a good day this week. I got news for you, my friends. When it comes to being justified before God, there are no scales of good and bad of karma. We are bad. We are destined for hell. And the only way we get to heaven is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our shortcomings, but he sees his son who is in our lives, whose blood has covered every shortcoming we have ever done and brought before him. And it's not just me preaching at you, folks. Again, Romans 3.23 says, For all, meaning me too, for all have sinned and not fell, but fall short of the glory of God. Some of you are sinning right now. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure you are. Because we all sin. And we all have those moments. But the third thing we see is being good enough is not a ladder you can climb to heaven. You cannot be good enough. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Here, he says in verse 19, So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But if anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, you will never enter. The kingdom of heaven. Folks, what is he saying here? God wants our obedience to the law, not just our agreement of it. Well, that sounds like something a preacher would say. Let me try to put it in plain terms. God doesn't care how well you know his law. He cares about how much you keep it. You can agree that sin is sin. You can agree that things are good and things are bad. You can talk to your friends and put it on Facebook what you think. But God knows your heart. And God wants our obedience, not just our intellectual assent to say, yes, I believe it. Look, (laughs) I believe that if I climb to the top of this steeple and jump off of it, if I fall, I'm going to be hurt very badly. I don't need to go do it to know that. There are things that we believe about God, but there are things that you believe about God that you will never know until they are tested, until you act on them. And God judges our hearts and our actions, not our empty religious words. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, you think I, I wish y'all could know what it's like to be in the ministry from the sense of being like a, a pastor, staff member, or some. When people find out that you are on a church roll, roster, something like that, they act differently. And I have had people tell me before how good of a Christian they are. Oh, man, I'll never forget. I I told the story a long time ago, but I remember when I was a youth, and we did a lock-in at a church, and I was one of the youth. That's way long ago. And so, uh, you know, lock-ins are of the devil anyway. If you don't know what a lock-in is, it's where you take teenagers, put them in a building, lock the door, and then pray for the best. Oh, and lots of pizza. Lots of pizza. 
But the thing is, is that I remember one of the, the adults was really cool. And I remember him because he had looked like a Dr. Seuss shirt on. You know, it was like red and, and white stripes. And so after the lock-in, you know, when you have that coma, you're like, I hadn't slept all night. You want to go home? I forget where we were, but where we were in the parking lot, there was a barbershop across the street. I saw that shirt. <laughs> I saw that man, and as he was walking out of the barbershop, he was flipping the people off. Wow! He just told that barber he was number one, Mom. The thing is, is that I share that. I don't judge that person, and I hope the Lord is working in his heart. But I didn't judge him for his Dr. Seuss shirt. I didn't judge the fact because he stayed up all night with teenagers in one act where his faith, his actions did not match his faith. That is what I saw. And that is what a world sees in us when we do the same. The Pharisees that Jesus were confronting had no problem doing what the Old Testament said, but their actions were insincere. Folks, God knows your heart this morning. And I'll close with this. How do we measure up to God's expectations of us? Number one, live for God by loving Jesus. Live for God by loving Jesus. Jesus wants us to live a life right according to his word, the Bible, because we love him. There are plenty of times when I did something my parents told me. They said, because I'm your parents. And I wasn't happy about it, but I did it anyway. Because I love them. God doesn't want your empty religious actions. He wants you to be you. And if you are jacked up and messed up on a day, be jacked up and messed up on a day. But tell Jesus about it and attempt to straighten it out. Live for God by loving Jesus. Live out your love for Jesus in your actions. God wants our righteous acts to be a result of our love for him, not an attempt to earn his love. I got news for you. You want God's love? You're in search of God's love? There might be one person in here today say, Preacher, there is no way God can love me because you don't know what I've done. And you're right, I don't, but he does. And it says in John 3:16 that for God so loved the world, and you are part of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There is not a person in this building today that God does not love, no matter what you have done or continuing to do. Seek God's approval over anyone else. God wants you to seek his approval. Why? Because you already have it. We have been approved by God. And then finally, share God's love with others. God wants our righteous acts to have positive impact on the world we created. People will be more impressed with the Bible doctrine you display in your words and actions rather than just your opinions. So the next time you're in a crowd of people and they start telling you how bad this world is and you want to jump in, why don't you just use that moment to think, what can I do to turn this around? It may be one small action. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today, Lord. Thank you so much that that you have fulfilled the law, Lord, that, that we don't have to measure up because of Jesus. We are approved by you that if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't feel like or doesn't know that you have convicted in their heart that, that they don't know you, Lord, and that they need 
salvation, that they need forgiveness of their sins, and they're tired of trying to manage it on their own. If they need your son, Jesus Christ, today, may they accept him. May they pray a prayer of forgiveness. May they decide today that they will live for you. May they take in just a moment the initiative, Lord, to, when we stand up is to walk down this aisle if they don't want to come together. I mean, alone they can bring somebody. But walk down this aisle and say, I want to know that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord because I'm tired of trying to live up to the law. I want to have Jesus in my life. Maybe there's somebody who just wants to come to the altar and pray. Maybe join this church. Be baptized, whatever it may be. This time of decision is for you to work, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?